Good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community. This past Wednesday was a dark day for our country. Seeds of hatred, classism, racism, sinful nationalism, greed, and lust for power, really that have been sown for years, were harvested with the assault on the Capitol and the violent demonstrations. In so many ways, it was the quintessential expression of violence and hatred that had been brewing for quite some time. While the conflict was in D.C., across the nation, every home had to come to grips with what we were seeing on our screens. And with that, it really felt like there was no safe harbor. There's no place to escape the conflict and the bitterness and the vitriol. You have to personally reconcile what you're seeing on the screens and in our nation's capital with what we see in our city, in our state, and in our neighborhoods even. And so it just seems as though everywhere you turn, fear and divisiveness are winning the day. But if there was ever a time for the church to stand tall and be on mission, now is that time. Like the church is to stand against this. The church is to be the countercultural voice, right? It is to be the North Star pointing to what is true, to what is hopeful, to what is life-giving. The time is now and it has been in the months and years that have led up to this. It should be the time where the church is, is standing tall against the tide, if you will. At Grace City, our vision for our church is that we would always be creating a church where people can experience the love of Jesus and join in his redeeming work. That's our our vision for what we want to be. And with that, we want to be a safe harbor where people can come and know the love of Jesus and discover the life that he created and called them to live. We want those connected with our church to actually be the church, right? And, And to live with that as a vision for their life to where they're helping others experience the love of Jesus in their lives, to where they're helping their friends and family and neighbor and coworkers know and experience that love of Jesus. And so if there was ever a time for that to happen, now is that time. Like if there was ever a time where that's needed, it is now. In this cultural setting, it is desperately needed for a group of people to create a place and to form themselves as a people to where all can experience the love of Jesus and discover life in him. But let's be honest, that's really, really hard. In John chapter 15, Jesus, he's getting his disciples ready for what's about to happen. It's it's the night of Jesus' arrest, just before his trial and crucifixion. Jesus knows that they're about to witness the horrors of the cross, and then after, they're going to be the ones to steward the hope of the gospel. They'll be the ones to plant and build churches to proclaim the hope and the joy of the kingdom of God. Like that's the plan for Jesus. That's the plan for, uh, that, that Jesus is leaving with the disciples. That's the plan for the future of the gospel. And it's at this point where I almost wish I had like a bullhorn that could speak back into time that I could like yell into the upper room. And I just want to be like, don't do it, Jesus. Don't do this. Don't leave this with us. Like, we're going to foul this up, all right? We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. We're going to run afoul of that which we hold most dear. We will mix this precious gospel with everything. We will mix the gospel with other worldviews. We'll take parts of other religions. We're going to take parts of other ideologies. We will mix the gospel with different forms of government, and we will for sure mix it with a corrupt politics. We will go selfish before we go selfless. We will go self-righteous before we repent and foster humility. We will make this about us rather than about you and your kingdom and your redemptive work in the world. 
especially after seeing so many failings in the American church over the course of 2020 and really in the years leading up to it, there's a huge part of me that wants to yell back through time and be like, don't do this, Jesus. Don't leave this with us. And yet, this was the plan. And Jesus knew then and knows now about all the challenges that the church has faced, is faced, and will face in the future. And in John 15, in this moment, he knows that all the disciples are, are about to scatter. He knows that they're going to abandon him in his greatest time of need. He knows that they will run in fear and leave him. The disciples themselves, they know something is up. They know something is up. They know his life is in danger. They know that, that, and with that, perhaps their lives are in danger. They know that their time with Jesus is coming to an end. And there's a lot of different ways they could have responded. A lot of different ways they could have responded to, to what was going to happen in the coming hours, days, weeks, months, and, and years that followed. I can't imagine how emotionally charged this moment had to be for them, as they all knew the suffering and hardship that awaited Jesus and really that awaited them as well. And you know what? They might be thinking the same thing. Don't do this, Jesus, right? Don't leave this with us. But it's in the middle of a teaching time that Jesus has a word that would encourage his disciples. And it's in the middle of this teaching time that Jesus also has a word for the church today. And in John chapter 15, verse 9 through 12, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus commands them to remain in his love and love others as he has loved them. If there's a secret, if there's a secret for these, these disciples to remain steadfast in their faith, no matter what happens around them, if there's a secret for us to remain steadfast in our faith, if there's a key to embracing the call to steward the hope of the gospel and grow in their relationship with Christ, if there's a guard to keep us from mixing the gospel with other religions or, or other governments or other worldviews or ideologies or corrupt politics, if there was a guard against that, Jesus tells us, remain in my love, and love others as I have loved you. The command here to these disciples and to the church were to experience the love of Jesus, abide in it, remain in it. The command that Jesus gives to his disciples, again, who remember are about to, to begin the ministry of the church, Jesus commands them to remain in his love. And the reason that I say it's the secret, right? The reason that I say it's key for them and for us, the reason that I say it's the guard against so many things, it really is because of what Jesus has just taught them immediately before this. You see, these three verses follow a metaphor that Jesus gives to his disciples about how they are to live their lives connected to him. Jesus says, he is the vine and they are the branches. He is the vine and we are the branches. Let's look at the metaphor. Go to John chapter 15, verse one through four. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
So Jesus sets up the metaphor by showing himself first that, that he is the true vine and that his father is the gardener. And out of devotion and even out of love, the gardener tends the vine and in so doing, he prunes the vine. There's a cutting away of that which doesn't bear fruit. There's a pruning of that which does so that it bears even more. And know this, both in these verses that we've just read and the ones that we're about to read, when Jesus speaks of cutting off and, and throwing away a branch that bears no fruit. He's not speaking about those who have had a genuine profession of faith, who've expressed their trust in the Lord and are maybe walking through a, a season of struggle, maybe even walking through a crisis of faith where they're not bearing much fruit. Okay, he's not talking about them, so to speak, but rather it's speaking about those who maybe looked apart, who maybe have the externals, but they've not genuinely connected to, they've not genuinely trusted in and allow the life of Jesus to dwell inside of them and bear that fruit, okay? You should think Judas in this moment. Think of Judas in this moment. Again, he had the appearance. He had all the externals. He was there for all the meetings. He was there for all the miracles. He was there for all the sermons. But at his core, he was self-centered. At his core, there was no inward transformation. At his core, it was all self-interest, self-centered to where he's gonna sell out Jesus to enrich himself, right? It was, it was self-centered. At the end of the day, it was about him self. There was a masquerade. It was fake. And I, I think this past year there has been an unveiling of many uh, American evangelicals who have the appearance of the vine but no life therein. Remember, this is Jesus talking to just the 11 because Judas has already gone on to do his betraying work. So like the context fix, fits in this. The gardener knows which branches have the vitality of the vine within it and, and, and have the capacity for bearing fruit and those that do not. And again, he will cut off those that masquerade and he will prune those that just need more help to bear more fruit. But what we need to realize is that these are all ways that we experience the love of God in our life is that we recognize that we will be disciplined by him and have our paths corrected by him. So that means, yes, he will allow us to experience the consequences of our sin. It means, yes, he'll allow things to be taken from our lives that inhibit our growth or keeps us from fueling into his ongoing work. And sometimes those things are sinful. They are, they, they are broken and they are fallen and they're things that we've allowed to take root in our life and corrupt our ministry, corrupt our witness, and, and corrupt our ability uh, to, to steward the gospel well. Sometimes it might be good things in our life that just take our focus off of him, but, and that keeps us from bearing the fruit that he desires. But the remedy for it all is the pruning work of the gardener, and that happens to branches that are connected to the vine. And so what we need to realize, Grace City, is that as we pursue our vision of creating a church that experiences the love of Jesus, we need to realize that we open ourselves up to be disciplined by the Lord and restoratively pruned by the gardener. Jesus continues to emphasize this command to remain in him, to abide in him as he is the vine, we are the branches. But he also gives some direction as to what this would look like. Verse five, he writes this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." 
So again, we have the call to remain in him, to remain in his love, as apart from him, we can do nothing. But in verse seven, I think we get a little bit of an insight into how we remain in him. Verse seven, we remain in his word. I think with that, it would be helpful to think of this as arrows going both ways. Because when we um, know his word, grow in his word, remain in his word, then we experience his love all the more. When we experience the love of Christ, then we're going to be drawn to the wisdom of his word. So they inform one another or fuel into one another, if you will. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 through 17 says this, all scriptures God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we experience the love of Jesus, again, we're drawn to the wisdom of God's word. That should help us see our sin. That should help us see our, 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 our sins of pride, anger, resentment, self-interest, racism, greed, lust, apathy, indifference to neighbor. Should help us see those things, confess them, repent, and turn towards the Lord. And so with this, God's word helps us remain in the love of Jesus and abide in him all the more. His word is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking. It draws us back to the commands of God. And this leads us back to the first passage that, that we read together. And I want us to hear it again, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We have to get something right from the start here. We're going to miss it. We must know how God loves us and make no mistake. He loves us. He loves you unconditionally. He loves us while we are still sinners. He loves us sacrificially. He gave up his life for ours. He became the sacrifice for our sins. He loved us. We had no notion of keeping his commands. No, no notion of following his word. No notion of, of living for him, for his kingdom, only living for ourselves. He loved us there. When we were in that, and, and some of you still are at that moment. He loves us at that moment. That's our starting point. That's how God loves us. And it's key to us understanding that. To, it's key to us understanding this passage, specifically verse 10, where he writes, if you keep his commands, we will remain in his love. All right? He loves us unconditionally. So we need to, again, understand if we break his commands, that doesn't mean he stops loving us. That does not mean he stops loving us. He loves us unconditionally. But rather, when we disobey, when we ignore his word, we are willingly leaving behind his counsel, his direction, and wisdom. We're leaving that behind us. It's as if we intentionally step out from underneath the umbrella of his love. But make no mistake, that umbrella, that love, it's still there waiting for us, really calling for us to step back in. But rather, when we keep his commands, when we stay, you know, when we remain in him, right? When we keep his commands, we see, you know what? They really are for our good. And that leads us to glorify the Lord. They really are for our good and for his glory. And so when we keep his commands, we see and we remain and we experience his love all the more. But if you'll notice, if you'll notice the command that he highlights here, right? The command that he draws our attention to is that we love one another as he has loved us. And so when we follow that command, we are loving others in a way that helps them experience the love of Jesus. So another way that we experience the love of Christ in our life 
is by earnestly seeking and desiring to keep his commands by loving others as he has loved us. And greater love hath no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. That means we're placing their concerns above our own. We're placing their interest above our own. That means we don't go through life saying, I'm gonna do what's best for me. I'm not gonna do what's best for me and my family. We go through life thinking, how can I serve Christ and how can I serve others? That's how we're called to love. That's how we're called to process the world around us. That's how we're called to respond to the world around us. It's loving others as he has loved us. And so if, if you're keeping track of this, if you're keeping track of this, when we experience his love, we are pruned and we are disciplined by our loving father. We know his word and we grow in our obedience to him and in our love for others. And through this entire text, Jesus teaches us why we should do these things. He teaches us why the branches should stay connected to the vine, why we should remain in him, abide in him, and remain in his love. Why should we do these things? So that we can bear fruit. Verse four, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Verse five, remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Verse 11, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things that his joy will be in us and so that our joy will be made complete. When we bear fruit, we show ourselves as those who have the life of Jesus inside of us and desiring to give that life to others because fruit has the seeds of life within it. And so when we create a church where we're experiencing the love of Christ, we discover the life of Christ. And that's our mission at Grace City. That's our why. It's part of our DNA. And we're gonna give a whole Sunday to it in a couple weeks. But when we pursue our vision of what we always want to be becoming at Grace City, we pursue our vision of creating a church where people experience the love of Christ and join in his redeeming work because we realize that's a way where we all continually discover life in Christ and the joy that he brings. And helping our neighbors, helping one another, helping all of us discover life in Christ, discover life I think that is greatly needed, greatly needed in this moment that we're living through. But I hope you know and realize that what we do here depends on you. What we do at Grace City depends on you. This isn't dependent upon staff, elders, deacons, although they are a part of it. What we do here depends upon you. The church is made up of individuals who have been redeemed by Jesus and as such entrusted with the gospel. So when we talk about the DNA of our church, when we talk about the mission or vision of our church, it's not just a statement on a wall. It's not just something on a website. No, these are tools to help us live out our faith in the context of our church, in the context of our community, and in the context of this cultural moment that we are all walking through. And so with that, it should then lead you to ask some questions. Number one, how are you at Grace City creating a church where people experience the love of Christ and are encouraged to join in the redeeming work that he is doing? How are you doing that? And yes, I'm talking about specific even volunteer roles in and around Grace City. I know that's all jacked up with COVID, but still, is that even on your radar to find a place of service in and through the local church? Whether it's your first day joining us online or you've been a part of Grace City for weeks, months, years, we would love to help get you connected to a place of service because we believe you discover life when you help others experience the love of Jesus. 
The second part of that question, I would say it's maybe even the more important question to be asking yourself right now, again, in this cultural moment, is how are you personally creating an environment where people experience the love of Jesus? How are you doing that in your home, in your class, in your office, in your community? Are you following Christ's commands to love your neighbor as yourself, to place their well-being and concern above your own? Are you following Christ's commands to love others as he has loved you? Are you abiding in the love that Christ has for you and as such pouring that love out towards others? How are you doing this in the way that you live out your faith? How are you ensuring that those around you can experience the love of Jesus and know that they too are called and invited to join in on the redeeming work that he is doing? I think when you do those things, not only will you discover life in Christ, you'll help others do the same. And it's a ministry and a mission that he has given to the church. There is still not a small part of me that wishes I had that bullhorn that could scream back into John 15 that would say, don't do it, Jesus. Don't leave this with us. I, I can see so many of the failings of the church. And again, it's, it's this, I mean, I, I can feel that, and maybe some of you have felt this, was like, I love Jesus, but sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I struggle with the actions of the church today. The actions of, of the church we see in our city, state, nation around us. And we can see the flaws and we can see the faults. And, and, and so there's that part of me that's like, don't do this, Jesus. But at the same time, I'm so very grateful that he did. I'm so very grateful that this was the plan that he put into place. Because despite of all the flaws and despite of all the ways that a church can disappoint and fall short, it is still the primary way that Jesus enacted for all to experience his love and to practice his love. Because I can, I, again, like, I mean, I can look at, the, and look, Grace City's not perfect. There are times, you know, where we've got some places where we drop the ball, we fall short for sure, and I can look and, and, and be disappointed with that, and I can uh, be disappointed in the ways that have led the church to and see those, those failings. And, but anyways, there can be such a temptation to me to, again, be like, I love Jesus, but I'm struggling with the church right now and think that I want to maybe disengage or, or, or pull back from it and, or distance myself from it and, and, and have that moment. But then I come back, and what's the commitment? command. I have to love as Christ has loved me. And when I look at all my failings and all my shortcomings, no doubt there's time and time again where Jesus probably could be like, I'm seeing these failings. I'm seeing these failures. And there could be a temptation for him to want to pull back, for him to want to draw back, for him to want to quit on me. But yet, no, Christ pursues. His love is that stubborn. His love is that ferocious to where he keeps loving. He keeps showing grace and kindness that leads me towards repentance. And so here's the crazy thing then, right? When we see maybe failures in the church, we remember the call to love one another as he has loved us. And so what happens then is in the church, not only do we learn about Christ's love in our life, it's also an occasion to practice it. It's an occasion to practice it. And, and so what happens then is that it, the call continuously leads us back to him, to life, to community, and to a joy-filled purpose, all of which are needed in our world today. We are to love one another in a church as Christ has loved us. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love those in our community. They aren't even connected to their church. We are to love them in a way to help them experience the love of Christ and discover the life that he has for them, to discover the treasure of the gospel. And I think, again, it's desperately needed in our world today. So Grace City, 
as we enter into 2021. My prayer for all of us is that we would know the true vine and rejoice at the gardener's pruning. That we would remain in him and that our love for him and his words and commands would hold us close to him. That we would love one another as he has loved us. And as we do this, we would create a church where people experience the love of Christ and discover life in him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you for your son. We thank you for the love that he has shown. We thank you for the grace that he has given, the sacrifice that he has made, the forgiveness that he brings to each and to all who trust in him, who believe in him, who confess in him. And so, God, we thank you for the great redemptive work that he has done and is doing. God, we also thank you for your church. We thank you for how it is um, a tool for all of our sanctification. Right? So it's a way that grows us into you and in your image. And God, I pray that you would help us. Um, I pray that you would help us. Help us love one another well. Help us love our neighbor well in such a way that keeps us grounded in you. God, I pray that we would abide in you and in your love, that that would keep us connected to you, towards your church, and to our neighbor, so that at every turn we put on display the hope of the gospel. We bear fruit of the gospel that leads all to find the life therein. God, help us in this cultural moment in our nation be a people that call all to the hope that is found in you, to the holiness that is found in your word, and to the love of neighbor that you would call us all to, and that, God, that you would help us all love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for the gift that is the church. God, help us to be a people who live as your church. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.